0: This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news.
1: Well, hello and welcome to this week's BT Techno podcast. My name is Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team, a team of experts that are available to answer any technical advice strategy queries that you may have. Now this week, we saw the delivery of the 2021-2022 federal budget on Tuesday night. And certainly it had the earmarks of potentially being a pre-election budget, with a number of announcements that have come out, the majority on the positive side and very few in the negative sector. But this week for our podcast, I'm actually joined by members of our BT technical team to discuss it in more detail. But today we're joined by Sarah Conti, Michael Tran and Tim Howard. Morning guys and thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Morning Brian. Now Sarah Sarah, let me start with you. Um, One of the major areas that the government focused in for this year's budget was actually on issues for women. Can you tell us what some of the major areas of focus were?
0: Yeah, sure. Brian, look, even in the lead up to this year's federal budget, there was a considerable focus and, and speculation on what the government may put forward to deliver better outcomes for women. Now, we know that women were impacted significantly from the COVID-19 pandemic, and we know that they're continually impacted by the gender pay gap. So the budget papers highlighted that two-thirds of women who experienced physical or sexual violence by a current or former partner cohabitating since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic reported the violence had started or escalated since the pandemic began. We also know that women are more likely to experience economic insecurity during the pandemic. Now, the initial economic impacts of COVID-19 hit women's employment harder than men. When you look at the ABS Labor Force survey, that survey showed that 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 during the height of the, the downturn in May 2020, female employment had fallen by around uh, 7.7%, while male employment fell by around 5.9% over that same period. But as you say, Brian, there certainly was a focus in this budget on women. The government's Women's Budget Statement outlined their support and commitment to women's safety, women's economic security, and women's health and well-being. So firstly, the Women's Economic Security Package will provide $1.8 billion over five years to improve women's workforce participation and economic security. Now the package includes things like the reduction in the out-of-pocket childcare costs and supporting parental choice by increasing the childcare subsidy, and that's really in an attempt to encourage uh, workforce participation. Boosting the next generation of women in STEM, so science, technology, engineering and maths, with scholarships in partnership with industry, as well as helping women break into non-traditional trades with training support. Um, Other measures including encouraging more women into leadership positions by investing into women's leadership and development program, as well as narrowing the, the gender pay gap. Um, and programs such as Career Revive that seek to identify and implement change in workplaces to assist women who are seeking to return to work after a career break. Now, the government also committed um, $998 million over four years um, to, reduce the, um, to reduce and support the victims of family, domestic and sexual violence against women and children. Now, that program of work will, will look to include more emergency accommodation, uh, financial support, including cash payments for those escaping abusive relationships, legal assistance, improvements to the family law system, and in response to um, the, the Respect at Work report, that the government the government is now looking to strengthen laws to prevent um, and address harassment in the workforce. The government also committed additional funding into women's health at every stage um, in in life. But, you know, Brian, outside of that package, there are a number of measures announced in the budget that may improve the retirement outcomes for women, which is so important because we know, on average, women will retire with lower superbalances and lower retirement income. So some of those budget measures that that may assist here is obviously the removal of the SG450 threshold, um, that 450 per month threshold. So the Retirement Income Review highlighted that 63% you know, 63% of people impacted by that 450 per month threshold are women. So the removal of that test will improve the coverage of um, superannuation for those that are impacted. Now, while not mentioned in the budget, the, the non-announcement that the SG rate will increase uh, from 1 July will also help to improve the retirement incomes for women. And even the proposed work test changes um and the of contribution, you know, the, the opportunity to get money into super also helps to address um, superannuation balances for women.
1: Okay, so I guess just as a, you know, it's, it's early days, obviously, in terms of these announcements and they're still going to come through and, and be made into law. But do you think the governments, you know, have they gone far enough at this point in time or is there potentially more that they could do?
0: Yeah, yeah, look, I think it's a great start, Brian. But, you know, the differences in retirement savings between men and women reflect the accumulated economic disadvantage that women face during their working life. So on average, compared with men, women have lower wages, um, they're more likely to work part-time, they're more likely to take career breaks, and you know, um, women are more likely to experience uh, far, far worse financial impacts from, revol- from divorce. Now, the Retirement Income Review that was released late last year found that those factors do contribute to the gender gap in superannuation balances at retirement. Now, the measures announced in the budget, they're a great starting point. You know encouraging women to enter you know, higher or typically higher paid male-dominated industries like STEM careers, um, leadership initiatives to encourage more women into leadership. You know, they're initiatives that, that help to narrow that gap. You know, policy focus on workforce participation is also you know always going to help. But, you know, into the future, the policy agenda will need to look closer at those contributing factors to see how else we can narrow that that gender equity um, gap that there is in superannuation balances. Great.
1: Right. Thanks for that, Sarah. Now, Mike, if I turn to you, um, aged care reforms, particularly off the back of the Royal Commission held into the aged care sector, uh, was another focus area for the government in this year's budget. Can you give us an outline of what were some of those changes that were announced?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, this was another big focus in this year's budget uh, with many expenditure measures announced to fund the government's response to the Royal Commission into Aged Care Safety and Quality. Uh, so f- so for some context, uh, the government also released their response to the final report of the Royal Commission on budget night. Uh, where they indicated they're accepting or partially accepting 126 of the Royal Commission's 148 recommendations. 12 were subject to further consideration and alternative, um, where basically, uh, and I think the last six, which focused mainly on the funding of aged care, uh, were unfortunately not accepted. So these uh, related to some of the measures that you might have heard through the media, the aged care levy, and the change in the means testing for residents. Unfortunately, those were not accepted by government. But what was announced represented about $17.7 billion in investment in aged care over the next five years to implement what the government is calling their five-pillar, five-year plan. The focus of these measures is to ensure senior Australians will have access to high-quality and safe care services and also have more control and choice in their care arrangements. Um, the five pillars are home care, where they've invested $7.5 billion. That's aimed at supporting senior Australians who choose to remain at their home. Also improving the home support program to better meet their needs in care. Uh, residential aged care services and sustainability, $7.8 billion were announced uh, for this measure, um, aimed at improving and simplifying service suitability and ensuring that individual care needs and preferences are met. Residential aged care quality and safety, so $942 million was announced for this measure uh, that's aimed at improving access to and quality of aged care. Uh, there was also a focus in one of the pillars on the workforce, so $642 million on this area with um, regards to growing a bigger, more skilled and compassionate workforce um, and $698 million for governance which was to draft new legislation. So the current Aged Care Act, uh, it goes all the way back to 1997. While there were some major changes in 2013, 2014, there's still some, uh, I guess, it's a very old piece of legislation and it also, the investment in this area also aims to build stronger governance.
1: Okay, thanks Mike. So obviously there's a a lot of commitment to the facilities and and the running um, of aged care centres. And I know you commented about, the government didn't seem to pick up on some recommendations around the funding side of things for people that go in. Um, And we do know that, you know, for a lot of people, that is probably, you know, quite an expensive exercise and, you know, a lot of planning really is required to to prepare for that. Was there any mention um, about the direct impact for people who are looking to enter into an aged care facility or are already in there? Or was the government sort of silent on that piece?
2: Uh, I think they kind of addressed parts of that. In different ways. So I think the big positive out of the budget was the support for those who may not necessarily be needing permanent care at the moment but due to the lack of financial and care support are unable to stay at home. Um, So we know that most people want to remain in their home rather than moving into residential aged care but at the moment the waiting times for home care packages um, that someone might be as eligible for can be far too long. Um, In some cases, it can be as long as 34 months for a Level 4 package. The Royal Commission found that by not receiving these supports in a timely manner, uh, this increased the risk of declining function, uh, preventable hospitalisation, carer burnout, premature entry into residential aged care, and even death. Uh, A major measure announced was the release of 40,000 home care packages this financial year. And also another of the same number next financial year, and that will go a long way with clearing the waiting list. Which um, I think the statistic provided in the response to the final uh, in, sorry, the response to the final report was on the eighteenth of April. The waiting list was just under eighty-seven thousand, who are not yet to receive their approved level of home care package. For those who are assessed as having a need, into entering into aged care or are considering this, there will also be investments into supporting them with gaining access and also navigating through the system. Uh, One measure is to increase the number of face-to-face services for senior Australians as opposed to, a, I guess, a big reliance at the moment on phone or online communication methods. Um, in addition to this, it can be difficult for a prospective resident or even a resident looking to move to find out about the quality of care provided in a facility when they are looking at entering. So while currently it's quite easy to find information about the cost of accommodation, so the RAD or DAP cost, whether the room is a shared room or even if say it has an ensuite, um, whether the facility caters for different cultural or linguistic background. Um, It is at the moment, though, very difficult to determine the quality of the facility. So to overcome this as part of um, the budget announcement, it's proposed that a star rating will be established um, and this will be based off face-to-face interviews with at least 10% of all aged care residents each year. Uh, This won't only provide a way to differentiate between aged care services regarding the quality and safety performance, but it also holds the facilities accountable which I think is very important and, and hopefully that will go a long way with driving improvement in the system. In terms of the benefits for existing residents, I think a major one the government has provided um, with an effective start date of 1 July is to increase spending in aged care providers by funding an additional $10 per, uh, per day on top of the basic daily fee and that's aimed to improve and better the basic living needs of residents. Uh, so, just to be clear with this one, it's not going to be a fee that the residents pay, but rather it's going to be totally funded by government. So, to receive this amount, the aged care provider will need to have a written undertaking to conduct an annual review of the ad- adequacy of goods and services uh, with a particular focus on food and nutrition. Um, so long as uh, the aim here is really to increase and help the facility meet the basic living needs of residents. In addition to this, there are of changes to improve the quality and safety of care in residential aged care, such as uh, increasing the amount of care time that residents will have to an average of 200 minutes per day, and that will include 40 minutes of registered nurse time. There's also a big focus on increasing staffing levels through incentives in the workforce, as well as measures to upskill through education and training to improve the quality of care.
1: Right. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, Tim, let's bring you in onto the conversation here. Um, As always, when we have federal budgets, there's always questions about what changes are going to be made in relation to super. So for this year's budget, what was the biggest change that was announced in your view?
3: Thanks, Brian. A couple of small to medium-sized changes, I guess you'd say, came in this year. A few of them were leaked ahead of time, uh, particularly removing the... 450 per month threshold for SG, which Sarah spoke about earlier. Uh, but what we didn't necessarily expect that we saw first up on Budget Night was the repealing of the work test for certainly certain voluntary contributions to Super. Now this is an interesting one because as soon as you read the headline, you think, great, we no longer need to worry about uh, you know clients after age 67 needing to to find work or remain in work to perhaps make those last final voluntary contributions to super, but the details of this are a little bit more specific than that in that it does uh, remove the work test only for certain types of voluntary contributions, and the two contributions noted uh, in the budget papers were for non-concessional contributions, uh, including bring-forward contributions, it's stated, as well as salary sacrifice contributions. So if you're making personal deductible contributions, if you're making small business CGT exempt contributions from the age of 67, it looks like the work test will still be there. A couple of interesting points just to add to that. It has called out and added a bit of confusion around the bring forward uh, and the statement that this does include the bring forward. Um, Those advisors out there who are are up to date and astute on this measure will realise that the bring forward actually hasn't yet changed, still is uh in a position, as at today at least, where you need to be 64 or less on 1 July to trigger it. Uh Still slated to increase to 66 or less uh, going forward, but that measure is still stuck in the Senate. So you wouldn't be able to do a bring forward under this measure yet. But having said that, this work test increase isn't due to a start like a lot of budget measures until 1 July 2022. The other strange thing about the salary sacrifice contributions would be that if someone is still working they probably are going to meet the work test anyway um, so being able to salary sacrifice is an agreement that you have in place with your employer um, so it would really only be people who are working you know less than 10 hours a week nine hours a week who still choose to salary sacrifice uh, where this would benefit so certainly the largest benefit with this measure will be around non-concessional contributions. The only second one, which is probably a bit of a surprise and really great opportunity, is for members of self-managed super funds that find themselves in or are still in legacy retirement products. So these would include market-linked income streams, TAPs, uh, certain lifetime pensions annuity style products. The government's going to introduce a uh, amnesty, I guess you'd call it, where for two years um, members of these funds in these products will be able to roll out of them, including any reserves which might be in the SMSF, roll the money into an accumulation account, uh, roll it out to retail platform, leave it in the SMSF, whatever it might happen to be. Um, but it does allow them to uh, effectively, whilst these products have given them, uh, you know, test exemptions for Social Security, um, certainty of income in, in certain cases, uh, it has become a time, and we do get a lot of questions uh, into our team uh, around older Australians still running the SMSF because they have these complying products in them. Um, they want to get out of them. They want to shut down the self-managed farm that's no longer appropriate for them. It's, it's cost prohibitive, etc. Uh, I guess this is an opportunity that is now there that the government's introduced to try and simplify measures for people in this position, allowing them to uh, improve retirement income outcomes. The only additional point I would make on that is this measure is proposed not to apply to flexi pension products, lifetime products that are enlarged large, APRA regulated funds or public sector defined benefit schemes. So it seems to just be targeted at SMSFs. But again, like with a lot of these measures, not due to apply until 1 July 2022, so the detail will be in the legislation when we see it and we'll be able to obviously provide some more comment on that at that time.
1: Great. Thanks for that, Tim. So obviously, you know, I think if we sort of think about this conversation today, we're seeing a number of changes coming in to support women, which I think is an you know, important focus for the government, as well as addressing those issues around aged care. Um, and as Tim, just as you've outlined then as well, a number of announcements around super, generally all which seem to be of a, a very positive nature, which is uh, really good, but also perhaps not surprising as we're leading towards an election at some stage within the next 12 months. Just opening up all to all of you very quickly, just any other highlights out of the budget that you think are worth uh,
3: raising and, and mentioning for advisors to think about? Well probably uh, Brian I'll jump back in there. Probably the other one that got, got a lot of press is just from a taxation point of view that's worth a mention. Just the extension of the low and middle income uh, tax offset for another year. Uh, this is a tax offset that was extended um, last financial year. Uh, it should have gone with the introduction of the stage two uh, marginal income tax rates but uh, given the environment we're in and continue to, to be in with COVID-19 Um, they've continued to to retain that offset. For another year it's probably going to be difficult for them uh, to remove it between now and 1 July 2024 uh, when the Stage 3 tax cuts do come in because it would indirectly increase uh, the tax that middle income earners do um, pay, so I would uh, hasten to say we might see that with us for a little bit longer, uh, but the announcement was for it to only extend at this stage through this financial year. So another point I guess worth um, worth bringing up that's going to affect people.
1: Great. Right. Well, thanks, Tim. And, and thanks, Sarah and Mike as well for joining us today for this BT Techno podcast. And remember, if you do have any technical questions around advice strategy issues for your clients, you can always call the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or send the team an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com and also you can come and join us for our fortnightly bt academy webinars now our next session is going to be held on wednesday the 19th of may at midday when tim howard who's here on the call with us today will be addressing the important issue of if the answer is 42 what is the question Now, Tim's not going to be sitting there doing a reading from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but it's more a reflection that next Wednesday there's 42 days left until the end of the financial year. And with the budget now having been delivered, and we will have had the opposition's response by then, and in the lead up to the end of the financial year, there will be a number of things to be considering talking to your clients about, and Tim will highlight some of those for you. Now, to register for that session, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional, And follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. There you'll be able to register for Tim's session, but you can also view some of our past webinars. And all of these webinars do qualify for CPD purposes. Thanks for joining us for today's BT Techno podcast. And until next time, we'll speak to you then. Bye for now.
0: BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast is being developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.